Welcome back to another episode of Speaking of Vegan, speakingofvegan.com. I am your humble host, Anuj Shah, and I'm here, here today with Harold Brown uh, of many, many, many um, points of fame. Of course, uh, he was the force behind the, the, A Peaceable Kingdom, that wonderful movie uh, and that came out in two different iterations uh, that really swept the vegan and beyond vegan world. And uh, there's so many other things about Harold that, Harold, I'm going to let you tell us about. And uh, welcome. Thank you for being with us on Speaking of Vegan. Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's great to have you here. You know, let's just dive right in. Um, you know, of course, the thing perhaps that most people know you best for is that movie, A Peaceable Kingdom. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about that? Just maybe say what A Peaceable Kingdom is for people who may not be familiar. And then before we get more deep into it, I want to step back and talk about your vegan journey because I, I think it's always important for people to know how you came to be, you know, where you are. Sure. Um, well, I'm a person who grew up on a farm in Michigan. Uh, my family raised beef cattle. And I was spent most of my life in that. I worked three years in the dairy industry also. And um, the community I grew up in were the farms also owned by my great uncles. So I grew up around sheep and my other uncle had a dairy farm. And uh, I fell kind of backwards into being into in Peaceable Kingdom, but uh, James Levesque and Jenny Stein, who are tribe of heart, um, met me and uh, at an event and we ended up talking and uh, I ended up in Peaceful Kingdom. You mentioned that there were two iterations. There were uh, the one released in 2003 but there was a bit of a problem with it in that very soon after it was in the world we realized and Tribe of Heart realized that the message was a little off the mark only in that it focused in, on uh, quote-unquote factory farming and uh, so it's or, the, or the slaughterhouse system essentially as we'll say non euphemistically right, right. Kind of, yeah so this industrialized um, agricultural system for animals was what it really focused on and at the film festival circuit and then thereafter those of us like Howard Lyman and myself that were doing Q&A's after um, uh, screenings found this phenomena that while people were really taken with the movie, the first question out of the crowd without fail was, yeah, factory farming really sucks, but isn't, you know, um, local, humane, grass-based farming, that's okay, right? Well, Tribe of Heart looked at that and they said, oh my God, we missed the mark because all lives matter, not just the factory farming model. So <clears throat> it was pulled from distribution, and then there was this journey of redoing the film, and uh, the new film was called uh, Peaceable Kingdom, The Journey Home. Right. And that was <clears throat> the, uh, uh, the film that people know now. And uh, it's been quite a great tool, um, <clears throat> even beyond uh, the vegan community. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but the... Uh, one short story I'll, I'll share with you is um, several years ago there was a um, screening of this in Cleveland, Ohio of Peaceful Kingdom the Journey Home and there was also this legislative initiative within Ohio called Ohioans for Humane Farms so this political initiative was going on and uh, they did this screening which over 600 people attended and a few farmers were there from mid-state that were dairy farmers, and they came basically to challenge us. So after the screening, um, 
Jenny Stein brought a couple of guys over to me and said, you know, I think you need to talk to him. So we did. And I asked the guys, I said, so um, what did you think of the film? Well, I didn't agree with most of that and everything, but I said, did anything like resonate with you, touch you? And the one guy didn't know what to say. The other guy kind of looked off in the distance. And then he looked me square in the eye, and he said, what the hell did we do to ourselves? Wow. And I know what he was talking about. There's a scene in the movie that is actually from the 1970s, which would have been his childhood and my childhood, were about the same age. And it's of a um, um, county fair in the 4-H showing of animals and the auction of the animals after the showing. So you're watching these kids cry while their animals are being auctioned off and sold away from them. And that... For slaughter. Yeah, or sometimes for breeding. And uh, I... uh, uh, I knew that was the thing. It was going to touch him. But on the other hand, as time has gone by, that has been the common denominator with people that used to be in agriculture. That's the thing that gets them. Because they remember whether they were you know, in 4-H, FFA, they remember what it was like to be a kid, to raise an animal for a year, to take them to the show, to win, take pride in that, only to see them go away. And it's a profoundly sad thing, but people get toughened up to it, and eventually right. they get indoctrinated into this whole idea that animals, there's this financial reward uh, for raising the animal. And, um, and you know, Quite honestly, in my opinion, that is a form of child abuse. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I want to mention a couple of things. Oh, you said, you know, uh, you know, we're based out of Houston. Um, at speaking of vegan, and um, you know, Houston has sadly uh, one of the largest rodeos around. Mm-hmm. And after after the rodeo, you know, the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo every year, they do the, you know, they have kids who raise these animals in the 4-H program, and there's scholarships affiliated with it and everything. So people, like you say, Harold, really affiliate all this stuff or associate all this stuff, I should say, with um, you know, financial gain or some kind of financial benefit. And, you know, these kids are traumatized. I mean, they've grown attached to these animals. They've given them names. They've become sort of part of the family. And suddenly it's kind of like a bait and switch, right? A year later or whatever it is, you know, they go to this show and they're auctioned off in, 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 in a lot of cases for slaughter, as you say, sometimes for breeding, but ultimately breeding for slaughter. Mm-hmm. And and the kids, you know, you, said, you use the, the term toughened up. I think you're right. I think what happens is a different way of looking at it or uh, maybe a different way of putting it is just, they sort of shut down their emotions because they can never be that attached or connected to something or someone again, and uh, and so they they shut down a part of their of their heart, and uh, it's really you know it's really a tragic thing for the human condition in a way. Well, it is, and I've 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 argued ever since my animal consciousness kind of woke up is that 4-H uh, for those who don't know what the 4-H's are, their heads, head, hands, health, and heart. And while you can go on their national website, and you can see all these programs. And the one thing a lot of people don't realize, it's the largest youth organization in the world. It's bigger than Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts put together. That's amazing. It's a huge organization for kids. But um, outside of the United States, livestock isn't as prominent as it is here in North America. But yet, that aspect, anybody who goes to a county fair and watches the auction, they don't it's the one H that isn't being addressed, the heart. What are they right. doing? Do they have grief counseling for these kids? No, they don't. You know, and nor do they want to. Right. Because right. if they had, you know, competent grief counseling, these kids would not go into livestock agriculture. Right. 
Well, and having grief counseling would have, would be a, a type of acknowledgement that there's grief, and the grief stems from ha uh, having lost a living, breathing, conscious being, not an object that you just breathe for slaughter or whatever it is. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Vegan. If you or someone you know is vegan and would like to be a guest on our show, feel free to email us at info at speakingofvegan.com. Be sure to send along a brief description of yourself and why you'd be a great guest on our show. Again, that email is info at speakingofvegan.com, and you can also contact us through our website at www.speakingofvegan.com. Another thing I wanted to mention, just to step back a bit, is we, you, we jumped into the Peaceable Kingdom, and for those who may not be familiar with the Peaceable Kingdom, so the idea is, you know, you... It goes through the story of your life and having grown up, like you say, on a farm and having gone through this kind of system. And it really shows people the human cost, right, of, of the slaughterhouse system. And, of course, even if it's local farming, whatever, of being attached to animals and having these incredible, beautiful, conscious, thinking, feeling, emotionally rich beings um, as part of your life. And then they're just slaughtered and sold so that people can eat them or wear them or mm -hmm. put them on their car seats or whatever it is. And, uh, and I think the movie really struck such a deep chord throughout. It just reverberated throughout not just the vegan community, but around the world in so many different ways. And I know that you go around and speak, uh, you know, using the movie as a tool. And I just wanted to say real quick, you mentioned Howard Lyman. And for those who may not be familiar, Howard Lyman is, of course, the mad cowboy who I think the thing he's probably most famous for uh, was he was with Oprah Winfrey. Uh, back in 96, he was on the Oprah Winfrey show talking about mad cow disease and saying how, you know, mad cow disease existed and a lot of people, you know, cows were fed to other cows and, and Oprah said, well, that's going to stop me cold from eating another burger. And, of course, she famously got sued and famously won, actually, that lawsuit, but um, at a large cost. And so, um, but anyway, so that's who Howard Lyman is and you and he go around and have gone around and, and toured and presented the film and talked about this kind of life. So, I mean, tell us a little bit more about your experience doing that and, uh, you know, your, your reflections on... on that kind of activism. Well, point of interest, that whole thing with Oprah Winfrey happened in Texas. Absolutely. They were yeah. sued Our by home the, state. <laughs> they were settled, sued by the Texas Cattlemen's Beef Association by, as a proxy from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. But um, anyway, <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it's a powerful thing to be able to go around and, um, and share this message and this story. And... Um, you know, and, and I'm just one character in many in this film. There's Jim and Sherry who have a, who used to, well, Jim used to have a dairy farm, and then when he and Sherry got together, they switched over to dairy goats. And um, as far as I know, you know, after their journey, they be, they turned it into a sanctuary. And as far as I know, they're the only sanctuary in the United States where the people who founded it and run it are former farmers. Mm -hmm. That makes them very unique. And they're only right. 30 minutes outside of Boston. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, we've all had these experiences of sharing this, um, this message with the community, and uh, it's always powerful. I mean, there, there's never a time when it doesn't really have, a, you know, a very strong effect on people. But that, that's, I credit that to the brilliance of uh, Tribe of Heart. They have a way of honoring other people's journeys, and it's not about guilting and shaming people you know it's not like some videos which i call shock and awe videos you right. know this is the horror this is the worst sins we can commit against non-humans right but um they they do indeed mention that but it also weaves together that there's a lot of other costs there's cost to the environment there's cost there's a human cost 
to this as well as to the animals. Right. And that, you know, we're all on this journey together. And uh, the only way we're going to heal this world is when we do make those connections, the connection of head and heart. And not just, you know, simple outrage, but to take a step back and say, you know, what am I feeling? And then help other people process. What are you feeling? And how are you processing this? And, uh, you know, it's great work. I mean, it's hard work, but it's right. great work kind of being the vegan therapist yes, for like audiences that. who are take on this journey, you know, and they're right. like, for a lot of these issues, it's their first time being exposed to it. Absolutely. And, uh, and the film does it in a respectful way that people don't feel put off. And they're able to, they feel comfortable engaging, whether it's a college or, you know, the general public. You know, I just did a screening recently in Ithaca, New York, where it's near where I live. And it was a part of an education program for a food co-op. And uh, had 20 people there, and it was amazing. Ended up three hours of conversation after the film because people were just so taken with the message yeah. and wanted to learn more. Right. So right. It's, it's brilliant. Plus, as a result of the film, we saw a Tribe of Heart saw a need to have a toolkit for people. And they did this with The Witness, their first film, is to have a toolkit for people to be able to learn more, to process both emotionally and, and uh, mentally the things they're dealing with. So they developed a website called humanemyth.org. Right. And that website was built for the general public. It's a good tool for advocates, but it was actually, when you go look at it, you go, wow, you know, it, this isn't what I would say is a, a vegan website. Well, no, it's not. Uh, it's a website for the general public to go to, and it actually helps them learn some critical thinking. So it's like there's some picture of chickens, and it talks a little bit about you want to learn more, click. And each click takes you a little further along on the critical thinking journey. But there's also testimonials from people like Howard, myself, uh, um, Jason Tracy, and Casey Mel, who used to have uh, Umani Sanctuary in Pennsylvania, and so on. And we all contributed things to the film so that people can say, well, you know, these people ran sanctuaries, these people used to farm animals. Um, you know, this is the things that we hear that we think are, the general public might think is propaganda. Actually, is isn't propaganda. Here's people who lived it. And, you know, they're telling you this is the truth. And also there's links to the USDA and other places to find out that, no, we're not making any of this up. And, you know, if you need to see what the industry is doing and how they do it, Here's links to go find out. You right. know? So it's right. a it's a to totally an educational website. The, I love what you just said. The emotional toolkit, a vegan therapist, you know, for people to really process these things, and it's great. We're going to be back in just a moment. Uh, stay with us. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Vegan. Visit our website at www.speakingofvegan.com where you can access and download our show, view the vegan events calendar, and pick up some awesome Speaking of Vegan merchandise. Support the cause with the purchase of one of our brand new 100% cotton Speaking of Vegan t-shirts. There's a custom design on the front and back, and we have both men's and women's sizes in six different colors. Again, that's www.speakingofvegan.com, and just click on the store. 
Welcome back to Speaking of Vegan, speakingofvegan.com. I'm Anush Shah, your host, and we are uh, here with Harold Brown today. And uh, Harold, as we uh, were taking that break, we were just talking about, um, you know, the uh, sort of you were talking about the toolkit, we were talking about the psychological harm that's done on kids. And, and I want to revisit that issue in just a few moments because I know that's a big project that you continue to work on. But I, you know, I want to get back to just to talking about your vegan journey and how is it that you came to be vegan so that, uh, you know, uh, people can once again have an idea of how we all come to these points in our lives. Well, I came through it through self-interest, um, which I guess is part of human nature. Uh, I was working in the dairy industry and I got injured. And I went to the doctor, and they, he fixed me up, but he also gave me a complete physical and did a full blood panel on me, and he saw I had an issue, and he said, well, we need to talk, and ended up I had sky-high triglycerides, and he said, well, you know, you've got to do something about it. I said, well, I don't know what to do. I said, he asked me, is there heart disease in your family? I said, oh, yeah. I said, it's taken out a good part of my family, and he goes... Well, here, he gave me a pamphlet. Well, the pamphlet said I needed, what he told me I needed to do was control my triglycerides, and this pamphlet was how to do that. So I read it and um, made like two modifications in my diet and uh, to do this, but it didn't go well with my family, and they became more and more um, resistant to it, and uh, because my wife and I took this journey together, you know, bless her soul that she did this with me and supported me and we um, did this but things got stressful in about a year my brother was ready to take over buy the farm from my grandmother and I said you know it's all you you know I'm, a, I'm gonna leave so we packed everything we moved to Cleveland Ohio and um, so I wanted to continue learning more about how to reverse my heart disease and uh, went to, I, the, I worked as a mechanic, and uh, first customer's car I worked on was this wonderful woman, she just, young woman, and I was working on a car, and she had this bumper sticker. Well, when I was delivering the car back to her, I said, well, I got everything done, this is what I did. I said, do you mind if I ask you about this bumper sticker? And she said, sure. I said, it says, I don't eat my friends. And I said, what does that mean? Is that a joke, like you're not a cannibal? And she says, no, she says, I'm a vegetarian. I go, oh. <coughs> and I said, What's that? Okay, after four years of college and stuff, not being you know completely in the dark, I didn't know what a vegetarian was. And so she explained it to me, and I said, where do you buy your food? She says, oh, at the food co-op. So I found out that was very close to our home, and uh, my wife and I went down there and visited it, and I said, wow, this supports local agriculture. It's about a you know, just food system. And I said, I'm all about this. So uh, we joined. And on the way out, there was a flyer there with phone numbers to, uh, for a vet, uh, vegetarian potluck. So I called them up, and they said, well, we're actually vegan. I said, what's that mean? No animal products at all. I said, okay. And they said, well, you're welcome to come. So we did what any newbie does. We took chips and salsa, and uh, we went and connected with these people. And uh, this organization was called... Uh, Northern Ohio, Northern Ohio Windstar Connection. And the Windstar Foundation was something that was founded by John Denver. And uh, John Robbins was very instrumental in his journey. So we made... So John Denver was vegan? Yeah, he's actually microbiotic. 
and uh, the wow, okay. we uh, ended up being in this community of people that were professional people, doctors, and so on. But to be quite honest, if I hadn't had that group of people and that support, I don't know that I'd be here today. Yeah. Because they literally um, were a group of people who were so well-rounded, so well-informed, that they taught me, they nurtured me, they were involved in things just more than nutrition. Because the Windstar Foundation was, it, their tagline was um, making responsible choices for the future. So environmentalism was a very big part of what we did, and health and um, social justice and so on. And it was just this very well-rounded group. It was very unique in kind of the vegetarian societies that you see. And um, we, you know, just kept evolving. So I was, as I put it, I was on a plant-based diet from basically 1990 to 96. And that's when I met this steer named Snickers, which if you watch Peaceful Kingdom, The Journey Home, you'll see that story. And Snickers is the one that opened up my animal consciousness. And that's the day I became vegan. Wow. That's when my head and my heart got together and I now understood what it meant to be vegan. Uh, that the ethical and moral aspects of veganism is it's not a diet, it's not a lifestyle. It is a moral and ethical consistency we try to create in our lives to you know make this a better world for everything, the whole biota. So, um, yep, that was that was my journey. And then when uh, I ended up in the documentary, that's when I moved to uh, New York, and uh, they gave, that opened up doors for me to become a you know almost a full time advocate. That's fantastic. Well, and I want to just uh, it's a you know, wonderful story you're sharing there, Harold. And I want to just mention to people who are listening, you know, there are a lot of people from all parts of the spectrum listening. People have been vegan for a long time. Some people are just getting into it. Some people are new to it, and they're not sure how to be vegan. And, and I love what you said. It's really worth emphasizing that it's great to get into, a, you know, a community-based situation, try to find support locally. You know, in most major cities, I think there are uh, vegetarian or vegan societies or organizations and groups. And you know, we're based in Houston. We have a wonderful organization called the Vegan Society of Peace. Full disclosure, I'm actually on the board of that. Uh, we also have a new organization called Vegan for Life, and they do different projects. Um, but it's really great to get with other people who are like-minded. And, you know, we do things like potlucks, and we have, you know, vegetarian, vegan, we have vegan festivals. And it's just great to go and see what's out there and meet other people who believe like you do. Because some people feel like they're the only people who believe that way or who, who are that way. Because sometimes maybe they feel isolated at their office uh, you know, professional environment or work environment or maybe in their family, they go to their family reunions. And, and, you know, and there are wonderful ways around that kind of thing, there are ways to be and ways to, you know, talk to people and really feel comfortable and, and happy being a joyful vegan, as uh, Colleen Patrick Goudreau likes to, likes to say. So I'm glad you brought that point up. Um, that's really great. Well, and, and so um, here you've been on a plant-based diet since 1990 and a, and a vegan with your heart and spirit since 1996. And, and now you're, you're going around uh, everywhere and, and kind of getting back to what we were chatting about a few moments ago, uh, sort of doing this ethical or, or this effect, uh, effective sort of toolkit, right, for people. And talk, talk a little bit more about what you're doing nowadays and, and what you're planning on doing in the future. Well, um, the one thing I did, uh, we talked about before, is, is that I, I do help other vegans uh, 
In, in as much as one of the things that people ask me all the time is how can I be a better advocate? How can I like get past my anger and my frustration? Right. Um, and so on, and I, he said, oh, you seem so calm and centered and stuff. Well, it took a lot of work <laughs> to do that. Right. You know, meditation, therapy, you know, it was like, it, it took a lot for me to get where I'm at, but um, we can all do it. I mean, if I can come up in a you know, cattle farm and do this, anybody can do it. Right. But as far as advocacy, I, I would say, and I wouldn't say that this would apply just to vegans, but anybody that's in a social justice um, advocacy role is that one of the things I noticed back when I was on the other side of the fence from animal issues is I would see animal rights activists and their propaganda and I go, you know, they're never really going to get much traction with this. And the main reason being is that I saw that there were only really two operational things in their toolkit which was guilt and shame. So they had these horrific videos and pamphlets and photographs and billboards. And I'm going, you know, guilt and shame can modify behavior for a while, uh, but it doesn't change hearts and minds. So I never really took it seriously at all. And then when I got involved with it, I'm going, wow, and started seeing how people were messaging, you know, the organizations were messaging. and and reading their literature and so on. I'm just going, you know, there's got to be a better way of doing this and kind of fancying myself as a student of human nature, and which I think is kind of something a lot of farmers do. Uh, we, I just said, you know, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And one of the ways is that I tell people is that teach by using the Socratic method. In other words, when somebody asks you a question, listen actively. Um, are you hearing somebody genuinely asking you a question or do you hear a need, that there's a deeper need? And listen for the need in them. And then ask a question about that need and that will guide them. Think of a therapist, if you've ever been to therapy, that's what they do. They're actively listening and they listen for what you are really needing and then they guide you into that so you, that you kind of unpack that baggage and you know work through it. Well that's what we need to do with people because we live in a hurting culture and Lord knows you guys in Texas you're the epicenter of hurting culture for cattle. Yeah thanks for rubbing that in and <laughs> reminding yeah. us. <laughs> well I once, no, I once went up and gave uh, a talk at Sam Houston University, which is a big beef college, and it yeah. was quite a rewarding experience because I'll tell you, ag students can be some of the best people to talk to. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we... Uh, Thank you for listening to Speaking of Vegan. We're excited to be able to release a new show for you every few days, but if you have a hankering to keep in communication with us between episodes, and of course you do, you can stay connected with us through Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, and our YouTube pages. Thank you again for your interest in making the world a kinder place, and until next time, we'll see you in the Twittersphere. I, I also want people to understand, if you ever... If you, if you have not read this very short book by the Ruiz brothers called The Four Agreements, read it. Yes. The third agreement is the one you should always remember. Never take anything personally. Right. So when people are angry and blowing off at you because you're vegan, you 
have to remember that what, if you're actively listening, what you're actually hearing is not anger at you, it's anger, it's their conscience biting them. Right. And it's just this manifestation that they see somebody who's living more morally and ethically consistent in the world, and they either subconsciously or consciously, you know, recognize that. And they go, oh, you know, I would like to be more like that. And sometimes that, a lot of times that anger is reflected back on themselves that they're not better than they could be. Right. Because right. everybody wants to be a better person. Exactly. You know, and sure. it's, it's not their fault. So don't internalize that at all. So, and the other part of this is also that be very careful of the language you use. Yeah, that we don't change society by dropping a pamphlet, um, showing a film once, and walking away from these people. I mean, no social justice cause ever changed the world by doing that. What they did is, is they showed up. Mm -hmm. And by showing up, what I mean is, is that the most important thing you can do, and while we always want to think that bigger is better, and if we have the bigger megaphone, more people are going to hear us, that's not necessarily where change in the world happens. It happens with the person standing right in front of you. And you don't just do an information dump on them and say, now you know what veganism is about. What you do is you listen, respect their journey, and then you show up for them, which means you develop a friendship. You nurture them, you mentor them, and that. And a lot of groups in the United States are doing that. They're doing, you know, uh, vegan mentorships, and that's what it is. And it's work, so you don't. I love that concept, the vegan mentorship. Yeah, and we should all become vegan mentors. Absolutely, that's a wonderful. That is wonderful our. Idea. That is one of our highest responsibilities and callings is to be mentors to people that are in our community. That are people that we work with, people we know, family members, whoever it is, whoever's standing in front of you, that is where your work lies. It doesn't lie in getting a, you know, giving somebody $5,000 to put up a billboard. You know, right. that, you can't measure the success of that, but you can measure the success of the people in your life. Right, wow. Well, that's very inspiring. Well, Harold, it's been a real pleasure to have you on today. Um, you know, anything you'd like to, first of all, why don't you let us have some contact information for people listening who want to learn more about this, or if there's some websites they can go to to learn more about what you're talking about or learn more about you and your projects? Uh, yeah, they could uh, learn more about what I do. I have a nonprofit called FarmKind, and if you go to farmkind.org, uh, you can read up on what's going on, and you can also contact me through that. There's my personal emails there and also my cell phone number. So, uh, you know, I'm all about transparency. <laughs> you can get a hold of me anytime uh, and I'll be of service in any way I can. That's fantastic. Any other resources you'd like to point people to that you think helped you along your journey or you think are useful? Oh, sure. Well, I, I'm a, a reader, so there were plenty of books that you know, uh, I think one of the first books that really got me on this path of animal consciousness was Daniel Quinn's Ishmael. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a real eye-opener for me to understand what I call human exceptionalism. And then, uh, oh, I really, uh, I really like, and I think it's very useful for people learning about this stuff, is uh, Jim Mason's book, An Unnatural Order. 
and also Will Tuttle's book, uh, World Peace Diet. Absolutely. Those are a couple of the best books I think that are out there Absolutely. for people to get a handle on not just what we can do now, but the historical context. Because why people need to know the historical context is that we in North America are the products of eight to 10,000 years of the domestication of plants and animals. We are a herding culture. You're not just dealing with a generation of people that are ingrained in eating the standard American diet. You're, you're dealing with a culture that's ingrained with thousands of years of indoctrination. How do you unwind that? Well, you unwind it by understanding the history of it. Mm -hmm. And when you can share that, sometimes that really opens doors for people to understand that, wow, this is a, the context of this is much larger than I ever imagined. You know, while we have television and advertising basically dictating our food choices, um, there's so much more. If, once you get a handle on that, you start to see these entanglements and this intersectionality of all of this stuff. And it's just, you know, it's a wonderful journey to take on, to take. And, you know, it's like I always tell people, I said, what do all of us want to do? We want to be better than we were yesterday. Right. So That's you can fantastic. do it. Absolutely. And it's like, and I, and as far as activism, I love what Ram Dass said, all we are doing is walking each other home. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Was there anything else you'd like to leave us with, Harold, as, as we sort of so. wrap the show I up I appreciate today? you thinking of me for your broadcast, and, you know, I feel honored that, to be part of this. Well, we're honored to have you on, and this will uh, be only one of many, I think, uh, hopefully, uh, talks that we have with you. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Well, thank and you. And we wish you well, and uh, hopefully talk to you soon. Sure, thank and you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Speaking of Vegan, speakingofvegan.com.